This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. And this is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. Welcome to The Obsessive Viewer, where a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be it genre, true, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. In addition to that, you can also help support the podcast at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer, or, and or, really, you can uh, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps out a ton. So, tiny. Sir. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> Sir, I don't know. So, uh, so, so, so to start out, I we have some announcements to go through. Yes. Because uh, everyone, take your seats. Announcements. Yes. Announcements. Um, pizza. Sit down. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, so this past month, it's this. We're recording this at the end of uh, uh, January, and this past month, I I was on four. I was on three podcasts doing a total of four podcast guest episodes. Wow. Yeah, I've been busy. So I just wanted to run through them and let you guys know where you can find my voice if this is not enough for you. Um, so first up is I did a guest spot on The Nerd You're Looking For, which was on January 4th. Uh, the episode title is Our Top 10 Favorite Films of 2015. I think I already uh, mentioned it on a past episode, but I'll just throw it out here again. On it, I talked about MoviePass, my top 10, and my least favorite movie of 2015. You can find that at thenerdspodcast.com. <sighs> and then uh, these last two weeks, I did two guest spots on the Film Schlubs podcast. Uh, the episode titles are Movie Talk number 32, which was the Oscar nominations 2016 episode, and Movie Talk number 33, which was the Brooklyn Review episode. Um, yeah, so in the Oscar nominations episode, I uh, we, we talked about the Oscar nominees. Uh, I gave a review for the movie The Forest, and we also talked about some some news and some trailers. And then in uh, the Film Schlubs number 33 episode, we reviewed Brooklyn, and uh, I also gave my thoughts on Blue Ruin, Psych, Season 1, and The Boy. So you can check those out at filmschlubspodcast.com. And finally, uh, coming out next week, I think next. I think you said next week, sometime at the beginning of February, basically, I was on uh, <laughs> the Jeff Vebert podcast. Nice. Which was different. Was totally different because yeah. uh, it's not like a movie and TV podcast. It's just a a comedy podcast. Okay. You were out of your element a little bit. A little bit, and I'm kind of nervous because anyone that's listening to this that goes on to listen to this, they're going to listen to me talk about like some some uh, very different things. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I talk a little bit about Pizza Roll, the official mascot of Obsessive Viewer, uh-huh. and uh, we also talk uh, some. <laughs> Some dating stories. Ooh, I can't wait. And some uh, job interview stories. It was it was fun. Wow. Um. Yeah. So so yeah. So that's that's where I've been the last month. Nice. I'm really excited that you saw Blue Ruin. Oh, nice. We got to talk about that. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Yeah. Or you can listen to uh, Film Schlubs number thirty three. But whatever. No. Um, listen to us. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So this episode is we were originally going to review The Revenant. Yes. But uh, circumstances led us not to uh, be able to do that. A.K.A. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, which is fine. I think we're going to do that next week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So instead, uh, I threw this out there to you, Tiny, when we were when we were hanging out uh, last Thursday. Um, we're going to review Bone Tomahawk. 
which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Yep. Uh, it's from last year. It's a Western uh, starring Kurt Russell and uh, Matthew Fox and uh, um, Richard, Richard Jenkins. Yep. Yeah. But before we get to the uh, review of Bone Tomahawk, uh, Tiny, we saw a movie on Thursday. We totally did. We did. For um, my birthday. Right, right. Yes. So uh, back in December, Tiny's birthday was January 16th. Um, and so back in December, uh, Indie Film Fest and the IMAX uh, at the State Museum, at the Indiana State Museum, uh, they announced that they were going to have a special screening of 2001 A Space Odyssey, the classic Stanley Kubrick movie from 1968. And uh, they were going to screen it in 70 millimeter. So... I saw this tweet and I didn't have much money in my bank account, but I was like, no, okay, I'm just going to buy it. Um, <laughs> so I immediately bought two tickets, one for me and Tiny. And it was a, it was a birthday gift. And uh, so we saw 2001 A Space Odyssey on the big screen, yep. on the big, big screen. Yeah, the biggest screen possible. Yeah, on 70 millimeter. Yeah. So Tiny, what did you think of that experience? Uh, it was pretty cool. I mean, just, just the fact that, you know, we're we're movie nerds so we understand the importance of 70 millimeter in an IMAX theater right you know we get that um and, and it's just it was really cool to think while you're there maybe a few thousand people around the world have seen it this mm-hmm. way um even when the movie was originally released I think it was in 35 millimeter I think so I'm not so sure. um yeah I mean like I even see. all those millions of people who saw it years ago uh they saw it in 35 millimeter so yeah. this is just like a rare opportunity and it was uh, it was just cool to see it in that format. I had never seen it in film before. Mm-hmm. I'd only ever seen it on DVD and Blu-ray. Um, and uh, which a few years ago we actually saw it at the uh, Museum of Art at the Toby Theater. On uh, they originally wanted to screen it on thirty-five millimeter, but they couldn't. I think uh, I think the print that they got was too damaged, so they ended up just screening the Blu-ray, which was which right. was incredible. Any opportunity to see that movie on a big screen is is well worth going to no matter the format but yeah um but yeah seeing it on 70 millimeter was just such a special special thing mm-hmm. um and it's also worth mentioning that i got there i got there about probably 45 minutes before they uh they started the movie and uh, the way that the lobby is set up there they have two doors that lead into the into the theater off to the side but for some reason the about 12 to 20 people that were there for the, for that screening they were all in a line but they were just in the center of the lobby <laughs> and there was no like directions of where they would uh be seat where they would uh, where they should form a line and everything so i just went ahead and just walked over to the door <laughs> so we were like the second or third people to get into the actual uh, screening which means that we got freaking perfect seats yeah perfect it was amazing. And uh, what I kept thinking about during that was that, man, this is such a rare opportunity. Like, I, w- I will probably, I will likely never have this opportunity again to see this movie in this format mm-hmm. on the screen. And, like, that was just, just amazing. And um, th- that movie, God, it's, I, I posted this on Letterboxd, but it's, uh, it's like a great piece of art in mm-hmm. that. Every time I see it, I come I come uh, come away from it with a new um, a new appreciation for it, a new interpretation of it, um, and it's a movie that every time I see it, it's like the first time I'm seeing it ever, mm-hmm. and it's just it's amazing, and I'll never get sick of uh, seeing it, and I will see it as many times as I can on uh, <laughs> a big screen. 
Yeah, I I enjoyed it a lot, but honestly, I think I think I en- I appreciated the Blu-ray version we saw a little bit more. Really? Um, that was I mean it was it was great to see it in seventy millimeter. It had that happy all- birthday. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it had all it had all the charm of of seeing something on a film. I totally appreciated that, but it's just such a visually stunning movie, mm-hmm. and the sound is incredible. It's some of the best music to ever be put on film, right? Without question. Um. And just like I think it's just it's preferable to see that and experience all that in the most crisp and perfect way possible. And I think the Blu-ray version that we saw really embodied that, as opposed to this one. It's it's really just a different. It's just a different aesthetic each time. It's it has it's different different ways of charm, if you will. No, no way is necessarily better than the other. Right. But I think I just I kind of prefer that the, the the most crisp version possible. Um, I I agree and it's interesting because there is a very there's a romantic a romanticizing of film mm-hmm. that's that's and it, it's well I mean to see a movie on film is incredible and it's increasingly rare but I I know what you mean it's uh, okay so like the the 70 millimeter um uh film that we that we saw was made or, or whatever in uh tw- 2001 is when he said uh-huh. so it's a, it's about 15 years old it, it was a little scratchy it had some popping sounds and everything but uh overall it looked amazing and as it as the movie progressed it looked it looked better and better um but yeah and seeing it in a pristine blu-ray transfer really is um like anytime i see it on blu-ray uh, on at home is still it's awe-inspiring because it's the it's it's so crisp and clear. I pick up on little details here and there that I I never really noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, so like people like to people like to romanticize the the um, film stock experience and everything, and I mean with with good reason and everything. But mm-hmm. also it comes with the slight demonization of digital and digitized uh, formats and everything, which I don't think that they're one or the other really. Um. So yeah, but but seeing it on seventy millimeter was amazing and breathtaking and one of the uh, best theater going experiences I think I have ever had. So agreed, it was cool. Yeah, very cool. Um. So yeah, so thank you to Indie Film Fest for putting that together, mm-hmm. um, and for not uh, uh, selling out the tickets before I was able to buy them. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So, uh, having said that, do you want to go ahead and get into our review of uh, Bone Tomahawk? Which, Absolutely. Yeah, which is worth uh, which uh, is worth saying that I just like I just finished it about fifteen minutes ago. Yeah. Um. So I I was getting the equipment set up as Tiny was walking into my apartment, <laughs> and the credits had just started rolling when he uh, when he walked in. So it's very this this is a very fresh take on the movie from my part. So, uh, tiny, do you want to give like a plot description? I know I'm kind of springing that on you. Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Uh, bone Tomahawk is a Western. Um, I believe it, it's, it's set post, uh, civil war in, uh, in the West in the desert area. Um, and basically there's just a, a pretty standard desert town, uh, with a sheriff played by Kurt Russell mm-hmm. and, uh, a, a drifter kind of comes to town with some questionable, uh, questionable influences and, and they're not really sure why he's there and uh he talks about 
uh, running into some, you know, quote unquote savages out in the wilderness and his partner was killed and there's all this mystery and um, it leads to, I don't want to give stuff away. It kind of, there's a kind of a classic Western conflict that happens Mm -hmm. uh, and it kind of involves a ragtag group of guys heading off to confront these, Mm -hmm. these people. Um, And it's a, it, it has some uh, some very classic uh, elements to it, and uh, with kind of a unique spin on it. So, yeah, the, well done. Yeah, I, yeah. W- I would have just said there's a a group of people that go out on an expedition to rescue some people. Context, but, Matt. Yeah. Context. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Um, <laughs> so, Bone Tomahawk has been getting a lot of press on the internet's um, recently, where uh, in and. My main takeaway, the the first thing that I thought really when watching it was, uh, and this might be because I just recently watched uh, The Hateful Eight, is that I swear um, <laughs> any time or, or like if, if it was announced that uh, Kurt Russell was going to only appear in Westerns mm-hmm. for the rest of his career, I will be a very happy person and I will see every <laughs> single one of those movies. Agreed. Because there's something about his presence that is so inherently Western. Absolutely. And so he has he has such a command of that, I don't want to say archetype, but he has a command of that, that, uh, that persona that is so intrinsically tied to the Western genre. Yeah. And uh, in Bone Tomahawk, I, I think... I I ran through his IMDb and I might be mistaken, but I think the th- he's only done three westerns. I think he's only done Tombstone, The Hateful Eight, and now Bone Tomahawk. That sounds right that I can think of. Yeah, if anyone knows of any others or uh, or whatever, let let us know. Um, so that was my that was my first immediate um thought. And my other immediate thought was, is that David Arquette? But um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually thought is I, when I was watching it, I heard the voices of the first two characters, and I was like, is that Sid Haig? Oh yeah, because that's yeah. who it was. Said, "Hey, I he's a he has a very distinct voice, right?" And the the cast is amazing, really. Yeah, it all, is all all across the board. Sid Haig, David Arquette, Kurt Russell, Patrick Wilson, Matthew Fox, um, uh, uh, uh oh wow, uh, Richard Jenkins, mm-hmm. who I I have in my notes, um, I have in my notes about about at uh, the three quarter mark of the movie, I put. Holy f- chicory is Richard Jenkins <laughs> because I did not recognize him. Yes, I had a similar reaction. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> um, so basically, the main the main thrust of this movie is that there these these four characters are kind of uh, thrust into this. I don't want to say adventure, but this thrust into this uh, rescue mission basically to find people that have been cap- uh, uh, captured from their from their. Uh, settlement i guess of bright hope and so it's it's a nice setup and i i really like the the western setup basically i mean it like you said it's it's very uh it's a very western kind of setup basically Mm -hmm. um and i really like the way that the four characters interact with each other Mm -hmm. and i felt i felt like each one was very well drawn um however what did you what did you think of matthew fox um, I can think of five actors who would be better suited for that role, <laughs> but you know, I, 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 it's biased cause I love the guy cause he was in lost, but yeah, I thought he was fine. I, I really didn't have a problem with it. Um, I, I can't really, I, I don't think of Matt Fox as like the heroic kind of like shoot him up guy. Mm-hmm. I don't really think of him that way, but yeah. 
maybe this character wasn't necessarily that he was just kind of a uh, a ruined character, a ruined man, sort of. He he had this amazingly traumatic event happen in right. his life that's influenced how he's become a man and what he's done with his life. And I can understand that. I I, I don't know. I I really didn't have that big of a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I I think a lot of people probably were like, really, Matt Fox for this role? Yeah. Um, and I I get it. Um, but I I, I really didn't have a problem with it. Yeah, I think that his. I, I have in my notes here, um, uh, Matthew Fox is a little stiff, but I want to like him so much. I know. Um, and I, I just really didn't buy him as, as you said, as he's like an, kind of like an outlaw or gunslinger or yeah. kind of a Doc Holliday-esque persona. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't buy it. I didn't, I just didn't buy it. And it's kind of, uh, it's a little, it's a little muddled in itself. It's not, the fault isn't totally on Matthew Fox's performance because it's a little muddled in that, um, even from his appearance, he's, he's, he's all dressed in white, very nice, a very nice suit. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, like I, in my notes, I'm like kind of picking apart, like trying to figure out which one, uh, what, what characters, which characters so I put, okay, he's obviously rich. Is he like the mayor of the town or something? And that's not really the case as far as I could tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and also kind of later in the movie, well, now that'll head into spoilers. So I'll, I'll scratch that. But, um, it, one of the i don't know i felt like his his character arc through the movie was a little it could have been a lot better and if it had a better actor or or a better suited actor really um to perform it it could have really been the highlight of the movie for me yeah um like you said he has this he has this dark history that's that comes to light late in the movie but you don't really get the sense that he's really concealing it that much yeah um, it's true yeah it comes out a little bit here and there um but it's it's not really a focal point of the movie. However, when they first set up camp and he has there's there's an altercation with with someone approaching the camp, um, there's this really nice and this is something that I just love in movies in general, is that there's kind of this back and forth um, uh, point of contention or, or this uh, conflict between Matt Fox and Kurt Russell in that they're kind of both trying to take charge of of their expedition and that uh, Kurt Russell's the sheriff and Matthew Fox is just this. It's said, um, wild gunslinger guy. Um, and so they have this, this conflict and I kind of wish that that would have been explored better throughout, throughout the course of the film, mm-hmm. but it was just kind of, it was just kind of localized to that, um, that, that altercation really. Yeah. I will uh, say that he didn't overact though. No, he didn't. He, he didn't. He has a tendency. He's had a, a tendency to do that in the past. Um, God, what was that movie he was in with, uh, Medea? <laughs> oh, um alex cross alex cross yeah. dear that was just 90 minutes of <laughs> of uh, heavy breathing from matt fox um yeah so he he has a tendency to do that but he i, I think he kind of kept that in check in this movie pretty much mm-hmm. um so that's one thing i'll say on his yeah, behalf it was a lot more subdued subdued than, yeah it, it was a very subdued performance and i don't think but but i don't I, I don't know. It's like it's like someone gave him. I haven't seen Alex Cross, so I'm just going off of your yeah. um, analysis of it. But it's like someone gave him that note, and then he decided to just do that for future roles in general. Right? Because um, I feel like the character could have had a little bit more flair to him. Like I compared him to Doc Holliday, and I mean, uh, uh, um, Val Kilmer knocked that role out of the park in Tombstone. Yeah, yeah. And granted, it's also it's also tough to. Uh, to gauge that because it's not like in an alternate universe, Matthew Fox would have embraced the role better and, and 
uh, done a more animated job, and then we would have been drawing comparisons to, oh, he's just trying to imitate Val Kilmer. So that's mm-hmm. it's a double edged sword that way. But true, what we have is just a little. Uh, it's just a little under the surface than than what I would have liked. Yeah. Um, from that character, especially since the character itself is such a magnificent in a in a stature way, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, in a stature way, that's a weird wording, but anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, so so that's Matthew Fox. What did you think of uh, Kurt Russell and um, uh, Richard Jenkins and uh, who was Patrick name? Wilson? Patrick Wilson. There we yeah, go. Yeah. So let's um, just go through each character, basically. Totally. Yeah. I mean, for me, the standout was Richard Jenkins. Uh, this. Mm-hmm. This role was just like unlike anything I've ever seen him in. Um, he he usually plays a very uh, he usually plays at least quasi intelligent characters and and very sometimes kind of like very quiet characters. Um, but in this movie, he's his character is kind of a dullard, just kind of a yeah. un, unintelligent, uneducated, um, kind of like a tumbleweed. He just kind of gets caught up in this conflict. Um, but he's he's an interesting character because he's a bit of a fish out of water here. He's he's the deputy, he's a sheriff's deputy for some unknown reason. It's weird because he's an right. older man. He's very forgetful. He's like um, the I think he's like the under deputy or something like something, something weird. like that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know backup deputy. I think that's what they so, call him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> backup deputy. Um, but he he had, he had this cool inflection he did with his voice. Again, he has a very distinct voice and. Uh, he camouflaged it really well in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. it, it didn't stand out really. Um, he just, I, I think he really just took hold of that character and, and did something really special with it. It could have been a, a very forgetful character, but, uh, I liked the way that he interacted and influenced the sheriff. Um, I thought they were two very interesting. That juxtaposition was cool to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, how they, how they interacted with one another. Um, Kurt Russell as the sheriff, I thought was, a, a pretty standard, um, pretty standard sheriff, western sheriff character. I don't. I he was a pretty standard Kurt Russell in a western character, really. Yeah, yeah he was. I haven't seen a Hateful Eight, but right. Um, it, it's yeah. It, it, there is a common theme there. Is there? Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. I, I. I. I just love him. Matt said he just has that. He just has that physicality and mm-hmm. the, the presence, the aura of a western sheriff. He just. He just pulls it off so incredibly well, and uh, I, I love to watch him do it. Um, I I don't want to sound like he's I don't want to sound like he's an empty character. He's the same character we've seen in every other western, and that he's just not not different because he he does make it his own. Um, right. But uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of sticking to your guns, if you will. And, and <laughs> playing, yeah, playing the kind of standard uh, sheriff character. It's, it's a classic and classics are classics for a reason. Yeah. Um, Patrick Wilson was, was pretty good as well. I, mm-hmm. I think, uh, the, the little, the very few scenes he had to kind of develop his, develop his character, I thought were pretty well done. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you totally understand and buy his, devotion to his wife right and 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 why despite the fact that he is very severely injured he sets out on this on this journey with just insurmountable odds right and it's like this guy's gonna die <laughs> you know it's just yeah. like it's like this is terrible why would you do this <laughs> um but at the same time you understand it's like you know what if that was my wife i'd be out there too i don't care what was wrong with me right um so it, he 
he's kind if it of, was my Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. Yes, yeah. there you go. Uh, if it was your pizza out there. Well. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyways, um uh I, I, he he was an everyman but a very heroic one and mm-hmm. and uh he he's his character was really cool. I I appreciated that and uh I I've never been overly impressed by Patrick Wilson. Really? Interesting. I I I mean I think he's I don't think he's a bad actor by any stretch. Right. I think he's I think he's a pretty pretty good actor, but uh I've never been blown away. I've never been like, man, I'm really excited Patrick Wilson's in this movie or uh, yeah, he's never gripped me like that. I was way more excited to see Richard Jenkins in this movie than uh-huh. I was to see Patrick Wilson. Um, but I, I, I don't want to discredit him or anything like that. Uh, right. He he did a good job. I I think he was a great choice for the character. Um. Yeah. I and I guess really the only movie that I've really uh, really liked uh, Patrick Wilson in. Well, I don't know. I I haven't seen Fargo season two, but um, the one that immediately jumps to mind is uh. Hard Candy. Oh yeah, he was good. Really in that. hard he, movie to watch. Yeah, he was very good in that. Yeah, it's a but, very uh, very candy movie to watch. Yeah. Oh god. <laughs> anyway. Gotcha. Anyway, so um, so yeah, I, and I I really enjoyed the performances all all around. Um, uh, Richard Jenkins, he is like a chameleon in this movie. I did yeah. not recognize him uh, from that, and it even got to the point where later in the. Uh, Kind of later in the movie, I, okay. So, so pa, uh, wow, Patrick Wilson, um, Richard Jenkins' performance is incredible. I don't think the character was written quite to my liking that okay. much. Um, like you said, he's kind of a dullard, and that's that's. I mean, that was a really good dynamic between him and the sheriff in the movie. But I felt like at toward the end, it felt like it was just a little overbearing. Um, it's like I I wrote in my notes that uh, Chicory is a little too dimwitted. And then that was right before my uh, chicory is Richard Jenkins revelation. Um, so there were some scenes that like he like he basically um, there there are there are scenes later in the movie where he says something and it's like it's a weird. There's one in particular that I'm thinking about. Maybe we can do a spoiler section and then mm-hmm. I'll cut it to the end of the episode. But um, there's one instance where he he has a line of dialogue where where he and uh, Kurt Russell have a back and forth and it's very much like a it's more of a informing the audience of what's going on rather than any character building or anything like that. It feels out of place given the context of that scene. And we can speak more to it in spoilers, but it was just, it, it didn't take me out of the movie, but it just kind of felt a little, a little too much for, for me. And that's when I wrote down my, that he's a little too dimwitted. Um, but I did like that. He had this, he had this kind of sorrow to him. Um, cause he had lost his wife and he kind of had that kind of, charm to him i guess that history gave him a, a bit of charm and mm-hmm. i could really go along with him um and there's a great scene between him and matthew fox kind of early in the movie uh where they're kind of talking about each man's kind of lot in life basically or or their station in life and uh you really get a good sense of their their philosophies and their personal positions toward um what a man should be really mm-hmm. and that was a that was a really good scene yeah yeah, and and as I said in passing, Kurt Russell was just amazing. And you're right, he is kind of a he's playing kind of a similar role and everything. Did I say that or did you say that? I think I, we both kind we of both said agreed. That. Yeah. Um, no, but he's kind of playing a, a kind of signature signature Kurt Russell Western character. But that's such a role that is so made for him. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in this movie was was great. Of uh, of the other two westerns I can think of of his, the, this might be my least favorite performance of those three. Okay. Um, but that's only to say that the Hateful Eight and Tombstone were phenomenal, um, both in terms of his performance and the movies themselves, from my perspective. So mm-hmm. um, it's really hard to gauge. I was kind of curious what you thought of kind of like the overall like style or like aesthetic they kind of chose for this because it it, it had kind of a pretty much any western is gritty so that's kind of a given but it's mm-hmm. like I I think they the uh like a lot of the characters and the set pieces weren't these like really grand polished perfect to to scale or whatever like like perfect perfectly done western things right. they they kind of had this it was kind of plain. It was kind of, you know, there weren't like these big fancy gowns that everybody was wearing or right. or anything. It was it was just a very a very plain, plain stylistically movie, and I really kind of appreciated that because I feel like the West is a little bit glamorized in, mm-hmm. in westerns, um, you know, for for obvious reasons, and it's 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 a very romantic notion. But I think in reality, the West was just was just very gruff, and everything was very plain and. There really Absolutely. was not a lot of glory, and it's it's kind of romanticized, and I I just kind of appreciated that aspect of the movie. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know how did you feel about it. It's worth mentioning that this was directed. This is was written and directed by S. Craig Zoller, Z A H L E R. This is actually his directorial debut. Okay. Um, and yeah, to to speak to your point about the. I guess scale of it um, is that you're right. It did have this kind of contained, very small scale. It felt like it was, it felt like it was a really well done, low budget western. And what I really appreciated about that, and what really impressed me about that, is that it's it's clearly a pretty low budget film, but the scope of it, like the journey that these people are going on to to get to uh, to get to save the people that uh, they care about, is is pretty grandiose in itself. Um, yeah. Yeah. And some of the sequences of them uh, on their journey is kind of – it's at the expense of it It kind of making it a little dry in the middle. Like it's a little it's a little slow moving because um, the scenery doesn't necessarily change. But just the the way that the movie accomplished what it did in, uh, in terms of – also in terms of gore because holy crap. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk more about that in spoilers. But um, – I did enjoy the uh, the aesthetic of it and how it was how it was designed and, and how the production came together really um, mm-hmm. and maybe that's part of the reason why Matthew Fox was dressed so so differently is to give uh, more of an impression of them being in a like kind of a subliminal uh, connection to uh, to show us that it's it's a it's a big community basically because mm-hmm. we the, in the actual community of uh, Bright Hope. We only get like a couple of different sets. There's, or a few sets really. There's uh, there's the bar, and then there's the jail, and then there's uh, a couple houses. But we don't really see like the the classic Western shot of the entire settlement from from the outside and all of the sets and everything. Like like you said, someone riding in on a horse or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Doc Brown and and Marty McFly riding in and uh, yeah, Back to the Future Part Three. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um. So yeah, so at the at that expense, it was a little slow, but um. Well, to, to add to that, I thought also the to, to also talk about the style, the mm-hmm. the dialogue and the the way that the dialogue was read. I guess it just to me it kind of had a strange cadence to it. Um, I guess like the way it was recited, it seemed a little stiff. 
Okay. Um, it it kind of it, it almost felt like we were like someone recorded a stage play. Huh. Um, to me, I, it just kind of had a weird feeling to it. I really wish I could uh, elaborate on it or really pin it down, but I I don't know. Maybe it was just the uh, the attempt to make every everything very have like a proper a proper language to it. I guess, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of common in westerns. I guess. Right. Um, I don't know. I think it just it it had kind of a just a, a just a tiny tilt out of place feel to it as far as like the 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 scene changes and transitions and the way the dialogue was said and I don't know. I I can't really put my finger on it or really really articulate it, but uh, right, it just had kind of a strange feeling to it. I don't think it detracted from the movie that much. Mm-hmm. It was just something you kind of had to adjust to. I think. Um, part of it i think was the minimal music there wasn't a lot of music in it that's right there's like um, one there's one like bit of kind of a, up not uplifting but kind of adventurous music when they're setting off on their journey and then after that i don't i didn't really pick up a score yeah um, which is just that. very out of place for a western yeah they're kind of known for their signature music and right this didn't really have that um, it's funny because I just read on IMDb on the trivia that the final movie represents the first draft of the script, oh, which wow. I'm curious if that means that it's the that's the dialogue as written or if there was some improv going on or some ad libbing going on or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's interesting. Yeah, I don't want to discredit it. I don't think it was a bad choice. It was just it was just different. It was something I just kind of had to adjust to. Okay, yeah. I for one, in terms of at least the uh, the the dialogue itself, I really loved the dialogue. It felt very I mean, I guess I wouldn't say it felt authentic. It just felt um, natural, like okay. a naturalistic uh, style to it. That's cool. Um, yeah, I'm trying to look up the budget, but okay, uh, the budget was 1.8 million. So wow, okay, acor- according to IMDb. Okay, well they achieved a lot with that then. Yeah. Wow. Um. So. And did we mention is this? This is a is this an Amazon Prime original? No, no, it's not. Okay, I couldn't remember if it was. No, it was. Uh, I think it had a limited release, and I don't, I don't, I don't know the background of it, but okay, um, no. Uh, I kind of wish it was. It would be a lot more impressive, I think. And, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Oh, I will also say that um, the the aesthetic of of the savages that they're that they're that they're chasing after was, I mean, the the um, the the way they looked was really really impressive. It was effective as hell. Absolutely, it really was. absolutely. It was it was kind of scary. Like like it had like horror elements to it. Yeah, and we'll talk yeah. more about that in spoilers. But the um, there there are certain sound effects mm-hmm. throughout the movie that it's almost like those were in place of the actual score. Okay, um, that's true. Yeah. yeah, that and then also anytime there's like a gore, a gore heavy piece of violence, which is which isn't really isn't really that often throughout the movie mm-hmm. but anytime there is like from the beginning i just thought like the sound is so like that that takes precedent over it it's kind of a i mean it's it's a limited budgeted movie uh, movie so they kind of had to i assume that they had to um economize their their visual effects for the violence but there are cuts away from it that like where the sound is so is so present that it's like seeing it. It's yeah. it's a really interesting sensory perception exercise in, in this movie. It's a good point. I agree. Yeah, I think I think we can go ahead and cut this off here. Um, okay. Do you want to give kind of a an over some overall thoughts and like a rating? 
Sure, sure, um, absolutely. Okay, and how do you want to do ratings from like now on? Because we usually do out of ten, but we're doing we're both on Letterboxd, so oh yeah, um, okay, it's kind of tough. Do we stick with what we know and then adjust for Letterboxd? Or I've always been a much bigger fan of the ten scale. Okay, we can stick yeah, to that, and, and that's that's what I prefer. Honestly, okay. that's fun. Okay, it's your day, not well. Your birthday was anyway. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Uh, overall, I thought it was a really cool movie. I, I liked it. I thought it was a, a very... Um, it's definitely a classic Western, and it has it has that aesthetic to it, but they really made it their own, and, and they, they, they kind of uh, spun some of the stereotypes, and uh, I, I think the... We didn't really talk much about the the female character in this movie. The females female characters in this movie. Right. Uh, there were more than one. They they were not your typical Western damsels in distress, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was a very a very bold choice and something that I'm appreciative of because I think mm-hmm. that's a boring a boring character choice. Um, yeah. So it was it was a evolutionary kind of evolutionary movie and a, and a different approach to this classic. Uh, this classic genre in that respect. And I, I appreciated all those choices a lot. Um, it, it was a really effective movie. It, it had the, these great Western adventure, uh, tones to it. And it, uh, it had some horror elements. Mm-hmm. Um, it had some action elements to it. Um, and, and in, and in the midst of all that, there were these pretty interesting characters that I thought was really, it was really fun to watch them interact with each other. Um, and that's that's all around. All the characters are just I, I really enjoyed a lot. So um I, I'd probably give it a a really solid seven, maybe seven and a half out of ten. Nice. I, I liked it a lot. It has its shortcomings, but uh mm-hmm. f- for what it was, I thought it was just a great movie. Nice. Um I'll echo most of those sentiments. I think that it was a little like I said, it was a little uh a little slow moving in the middle, and I kinda wish that there was more of a a through line with the character interactions because throughout most of the movie you have these four central characters that are on this journey and they each have different viewpoints of what they should be doing and, and they, they're all kind of I wouldn't necessarily say that they're all in it for the for different reasons but there's very clear motivations really and mm-hmm. that's one thing that to its credit that it was done really well is that you have Patrick Wilson who's wanting to get his and then you have Matthew Fox, who's kind of this intimidating factor that's that's a lawless entity really. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Kurt Russell, who's the sheriff, the representative of the law. And then uh, you have this kind of damaged, uh, kind-hearted, dim-witted character in Richard Jenkins' character. So th- these, these elements mesh together really well, but there's some certain elements that didn't really connect with me. And I feel like they could have done – they could have been made for a stronger narrative in that, in that middle section. But it's all – it all became uh, – it became more of a journey toward a, toward a conclusion that um, – that I did appreciate the the kind of uh, almost horror like elements that came at the end, but I kind of wish that there was a little more in that center, in that middle chunk, and a little more character characterization amongst the four characters. Okay. Um, there was there was some good characterization there, and um, uh, like I'm not discrediting that, but um, but yeah, I kind of wish that there was a little bit more. Um, and then as we said, Matthew Fox was he he did well enough, but that character. I feel like should have been a little more imposing. Um, Mm -hmm. All of that is to say that the movie was, was very well done in my opinion, um, despite those, despite those problems that I had with it. And I really appreciated the way that it um, included some horror elements into it. Um, And what they, what they did with the budget they had was just really astounding. Um, So I guess my grade for it would be, um, 
probably about a seven, um, a, a, a good seven. Um, I'll probably give it three, three and a half stars on Letterboxd. So cool. Yeah. So that is Bone Tomahawk. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to do a spoiler section, which um, I think I might just keep it in the main section of the podcast like we did okay. with Making a Murderer. I like that. Um, yeah, because like last, last week for Making a Murderer, I just had like spoiler music playing and then that, you know, did that. So check the timestamps. I'm going to record a special um, spoiler announcement here so you'll know when to skip ahead. So spoilers for Bone Tomahawk starting now. Okay, as stated, we're heading into spoilers. That's what this music is uh, denoting right now. Um, if you are too lazy to check the actual show notes, or if you're in a position where you can check the show notes, uh, and you want to skip the spoiler section, go ahead and skip ahead to 5440 for us talking about Amazon Prime Instant Streaming. Or if you just want to skip to OV Potpourri, uh, skip to 5806. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of the episode. Like I said, I really liked the way that it incorporated horror elements. And uh, what <laughs> one thing that I didn't really like was that the plot description gave away that they were cannibals. Oh um, yeah, that's not cool. Yeah, I wish that they would have they would have had saved that for a surprise. But um, but what the plot description didn't say was that it was supernatural elements. It's like a uh, okay. ancient like in. Indian burial ground, not really ancient because it's of the time, but right. Um, it was a disturbed. Um, burial ground which i I really liked how that piece of supernatural um lore was incorporated in in such a grounded way within the narrative it was like it was just like okay yeah yeah these guys are these guys are somewhat supernatural so you know let's break out of here or something (laughs) um yeah it was very natural and it, it didn't take precedence over the actual thing so what did you think of the actual um savages as they were called uh that's that's one of the things i really appreciated about it the fact that they made it their own because again it's a classic scenario this cowboys and indians thing uh we've seen it in tons of westerns it's just it's it's part of the genre but this is different in that there's this supernatural element to it and they there's this disturbing horror element that they're they're cannibals um that made it very unique and i think it really upped the up the stakes and made it so much more intense uh and i think it you know i think the westerns from the you know middle the middle 20th century mm-hmm. uh up until the 80s or late late 70s maybe um were were fairly prejudiced in their depiction of indians and yeah. native americans and and this movie didn't really you know it didn't really say well these are these guys are Indians, so they're the bad guys. It's these guys are cannibals, so they're the bad guys. Right. Um, so it it was that was a an interesting choice, and I think it made it a little more it made it a little more accessible for a modern audience. Mm-hmm. I think I think so that that was a, a cool choice. Um, but then the the Indians themselves, the tribe, they were just they were just terrifying. I mean, they looked Absolutely. like they looked like ghosts, and they wore these 
animal uh, pelts and and mm-hmm. bones, and they had like they had, had like, like white boar- ash all around them. Yeah, they had was- like boar tusks like mm-hmm. attached to their bodies. It's just really really grotesque and grotesque, but incredibly effective. I mean, incredibly Absolutely. effective for the characters. I thought it was mm-hmm. it was a really really cool choices and and just scary and eerie and. The, you mentioned the sounds, yes, the, the noises they made. That was um, f- frightening. Yeah, frightening. Which had a practical explanation, which I enjoyed because me too. It would have been ridiculous if they would have. You know, it's ridiculous when you have humans making these these guttural animalistic sounds that just you can't make as a human being, like like Obi Wan Kenobi in the special edition of, of yeah. New Hope. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, like it, it, it would have been stupid, and it kind of bothered me at first, but then they provide this practical explanation mm-hmm. as to how they can make those sounds. And I was like, okay, well, that makes sense. And I like that. It gives it its own spin, and it's And it a actually cool idea. made it to, integral to the actual plot and yeah. to Patrick Wilson's character, you know, his his uh, through line, or his uh, his arc, really. Yeah. Um, and it also kind of dehumanized the Indians a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. they, they didn't have a language. They just they, they right. communicated with each other like animals. Exactly. Yeah, it was a cool choice. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so we talked a lot about Matthew Fox in the non-spoiler section, so I'll just talk, touch on this briefly to kind of follow up on that. He did have this kind of tortured backstory where he, uh, his, his, his mother and sister were, were killed, raped and killed, I believe. Um, and then there's a, there's kind of a question of how many, how many Indians have you killed? And he finally, he finally reveals that it's 116. And like, it's a really good scene. I really like that they followed through on that, but... I, I kind of wish we would have seen more of his skills as a gunfighter. Yeah, because we really only see when the two when the two guys come to their come to their camp, mm-hmm. um, and then and then like it's kind of to add insult to inter- in, uh, uh, injury when he's kind of about to die. Like his last words to last words to uh, Kurt Russell are, uh, "I shall kill as many as I can," and uh, like that's really that's really that's really badass and that's really cool. He kills one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like I kind of wish that like that character has he, like that character has such stature mm-hmm. and he he's been built up so much it's like you know let him have let him have like his his day really. Right. Um but I think I think that that uh occurrence and the fact that he is kind of stifled at the end and mm-hmm. doesn't go out in the big badass fashion in a blaze of glory I think it kind of it was a bit of a setup for what Patrick Wilson's character achieves at the end. Sure. He's the, the, the injured, crippled everyman. Right. And he turns out to be an absolute badass and kind of outsmarts these Indians and ends up kind of saving the day as a result. That's true. And so. he did, he did like, there was some, uh, there was like altercations, which, or there was a conflict between him and Matthew Fox. And when Matthew Fox is injured, he actually says uh, something to the effect of, I'd rather be dead than be a cripple. <laughs> and yeah. I, so that, that does kind of connect there. And I, I, do uh i did appreciate that but i mm-hmm. still kind of wish that for all that was talked about matthew fox's character's skills and and um as much of a quick draw as he was and i understand it's a, it's a low budget movie so they're, so yeah. they're not going to have the resources to do this i just i kind of wish that for all the talk they would have they would have uh shown a, something a little bit more um, yeah i agree yeah but uh so there's one scene um <laughs> that is uh I can read from my notes. Um, it's a scalping. Yeah. And then it got so much worse. Yes, it did. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so let's talk about that. Because, holy crap, like that, 
like I'd known going into the movie, I'd I'd heard on some podcasts saying that that there's that there's like at least one scene that's very gruesome, um, and I saw that I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know what this says about me, but I said, oh, it's just a scalping, <laughs> and then as I said, it gets so much worse. Yeah, um, I really loved that as a depiction of the savagery of the, of the of the of the um, tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you feel about it, Tiny? Uh. It was. I keep using the word effective, but it was just so effective. And the reason mm-hmm. is because they they decided to make this movie really not that gory up until right. that moment. I mean, there really was. There were some uh, plenty of scenes where people had, were shot and killed, mm-hmm. but there was no like gratuitous blood splatter. There yeah. wasn't a lot of Tarantino in this. You know, it was right pretty and, pretty subdued action and violence. Yeah, and the violence was all. It all kind of served a purpose. Like yes, people were injured. We sh- got shots of Patrick Wilson's leg as he's getting worse and worse. Uh-huh. Um. Like this was a big, this was a big set piece. Yeah, really. And exactly. like you said, it was a good demonstration of their, uh, the horror of it. Yeah, the savagery. <laughs> the savagery. Um, yeah, it, it, like it, it just made that that scene and that moment all the more potent. Mm-hmm. Is that you build up to it, and that's the only time where you really break out the ridiculous gore. Yeah. And it wasn't even really ridiculous. I mean, I've never seen a man split in half before, right? Uh, but I think it was probably a little bit. It was probably pretty realistic. Yeah. If you were to do that, that's probably yeah. what it would look and sound like. I think. And like they went just the right amount of it too, because it's not, yeah. not like he split completely in half. It's like he's just opened. Yeah. Um. At the, in the middle. Ugh. And it's it was it was pretty rough, pretty yeah, rough. Um, rough. I, I shielded Pizza's eyes from it, <laughs> um, but yeah. And that was one thing that I I kind of felt like that paid off the slow moving aspect of the middle section of it pretty well because you kind of get this. I at least got this sense of foreboding. Maybe it's because I knew that there was something coming, like something pretty gruesome coming. But throughout the scenes where they're where they're walking and then they the, the horses get stolen and then uh, uh, they they're forced to walk and then uh, Patrick Wilson's kind of left behind there. Um, all of that was was it. Like I said in the non spoiler section, it was just a little too slow for me. But knowing that that was what paid off, where it paid off was uh, it made it a little bit more bearable in retrospect. Mm-hmm. And uh, seeing. And once we once they actually got to to the, to the tribes, the savages' um, cave, or however you want to say it, um, and they're locked up. Like that was the moment where I felt like, oh, I didn't know what to expect. Because um, yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, you can assume that Patrick Wilson is going to go uh, do his thing. But you also know, like he's like they were all they almost amputated his leg. Yeah. And then you have Kurt Russell and uh, uh, Richard Jenkins confined there. Like it, it, like it was so, it was so hard to it, uh, gauge what was going to happen, and that made uh, Patrick Wilson's um, the rest of his arc play out really well for me. Yeah. Um, and then I, th- I think it's God. worth noting the uh, the the results of the movie or the. Um, the approach to how westerns are very traditionally, you know, this this like male testosterone, like braggadocio, chauvinistic kind of kind of kind of style. Uh, all the characters have that quality to them, uh, and in this movie, it's it's really funny how it doesn't work out that well. Right. Uh, you know, you get these like cocksure guys like Kurt Russell and and Matthew Fox's character and. They get killed mm-hmm. because of the way they approach things. They have this, like I said, this braggadocio and this 
this real, you know, we're, we're badasses and we're going to charge in there and take them out and get our woman back, you know, stuff like that. And, huh. and that's, that's what a lot of Westerns are. And that there, there's a, there's a certain charm to that. And there's a certain, uh, I, I enjoy that just as much as the next guy. <laughs> but in this movie, it doesn't work out. And it's really funny that the, the calm and cool collected guy and the, uh, really intelligent woman find a way to get their way out of this. Um, I don't even remember the female's character, the, the woman's character. Uh, I don't remember her I name. Um, Patrick Wilson's wife in yeah. the film. Mrs. O'Dwyer. Mrs. O'Dwyer. There you <laughs> go. Uh, she, uh, she's not just your average damsel in distress. Right. She's a, uh, a medically trained, intelligent, mm-hmm. educated person who performs, pulls a bullet out of a guy early right. in the movie and uh while she's in, confined in this cave she she takes account of how many of them there are mm-hmm. um and the defining features of them she just has a very a very calculating mind and she's clearly mm-hmm. intelligent and equipped mentally to not just have someone come and rescue her she aids in her own rescue. It's and really interesting because this is kind of opening my perception of the movie so much more yeah. because um, like I feel kind of kind of silly now because I talked about how oh I wish that Matthew Fox had, had like they would have shown it. That's that it kind of seems like that's what they were going for. That they like you said they were they're very the the, the they're these very cocksure people mm-hmm. and they're very. Um, they're almost archetypes of the genre itself and then it doesn't pay out for them right and maybe that's the reason why we didn't get matthew fox doing his thing because it's not really what the movie's about the movie's about subverting the the uh cliches of the genre really yeah um while also having some really uh really effective horror elements thrown in right so in the end the the dumb guy the woman and the cripple make it out alive and the two badass braggadocio guys get killed yeah um which again a lot of the heroes die in westerns but right. they go out in a blaze of glory and exactly. you know it's it's to save everyone's lives but really these yeah. people save themselves and they right. the 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 badasses are kind of uh, collateral damage almost right and granted Kurt Russell did have a good moment of oh like, yeah uh, he got he got his due like oh yeah and there was some really really incredible stuff with with him like when they put the flask in in, yeah. in his wound it's just amazing and i <laughs> I got like I didn't really get too choked up at this, but um, the the line that he says to Richard Jenkins, uh, he says uh, something like, "Tell um, uh, uh, what did he say? He said something not say hello to my wife, but tell my wife I love her." I yeah, tell yeah, tell my wife I love her. I'll tell yours the same. Yeah, I was like, man, that was a really cool line. That was that was great. Yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, I I thought that that was just that was really incredible mm-hmm. um yeah so is there really anything else that we need to go over with this movie um, i don't really think so i i liked it i thought it was cool I, i'm gonna watch too. it again yeah me too really quickly i want to say that we mm-hmm. i watched this on amazon prime yeah. you did the same i did correct? um i actually watched it on my uh kindle fire okay uh which is obviously an amazon product mm-hmm. um and i I had never watched an Amazon Prime movie on my Kindle before. Really? Um, it's a really cool experience. They have uh, it actually has a, a direct link to IMDb. Okay. So yeah. like if you like touch the screen and bring up like the pause menu and fast forward, mm-hmm. a little a little side menu pops up with all all the characters who are on screen in that scene. Huh. Their little bios pop up on the side, and you can click on it and go to IMDb and learn about the characters. And that's really. I want to say that yeah. Amazon. I don't know if this is the same as uh, their X-ray feature on Kindle, mm. 
Okay. But that that sounds about the same. Yeah, yeah, very similar to that. It's interesting because Google Play has a similar feature. Whenever you rent a movie, they have uh, info cards. Cool. Uh, basically, anytime you anytime you pause it while while uh, watching it, uh, it'll pop up with just circles with the faces of the actors, and it says like their names, and you can click and see that. So that's yeah. really cool. And this kind of goes back to some of the conversations we've had in the past about you know the rise of digital media. Anyway, um, but it's interesting in this uh, slight tangent, but um, with Amazon, they they've done something really unique, and I don't know if you you noticed this or if you've uh, experienced this or not. But they have on their Prime selection um, for the last like several months, um, months months ago is when they announced it, is that you can download the file. So oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, so like as long as you're on Wi-Fi, you can download it to your device and then watch it like on a plane or right. uh, at a place without Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Um, like at work um <laughs> but yeah it's uh it's it's really it's really incredible um, i was just really pleased with their service in that respect um, yeah i haven't been overly impressed with the kindle fire as as an overall mm-hmm. tablet but i think this is true of just about anything if you're consuming amazon content on an amazon device it really doesn't get any better than that i think right uh, which you could say the same thing for apple on an apple tv you know mm-hmm. itunes whatever um but I, 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 it actually, like I, I my uh, Amazon Prime membership was up this month, mm-hmm. and I was just gonna let it lapse until like maybe, I could, maybe I got my taxes back and I was gonna right. spend the hundred bucks. But I was like, you know what, this was, this was really great, and I appreciate all the services of Prime. So I went ahead and paid the hundred dollars and re-upped nice. this week. So I, um, uh, I had it set to auto renew. Nice. Which, uh, I got a surprise on January 9th. <laughs> um, <laughs> luckily, I was able to uh, cover it, but I was like, yeah. oh, okay. But anyway, um, so that's our review of Bone Tomahawk. Uh, yeah. I dug it. Me too. Me too. Very, very effective. And it makes me really want to see more Westerns because that's a genre that I'm a little, uh, a little uh, lacking on, really. Yeah, me too. Um, me too. Yeah. Well, do you want to split over to potpourri? Oh, tiny. <laughs> oh, tiny. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, tiny. You're welcome. Oh, oh. But yes. Um, <laughs> so now, yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> I'm hungry now. Jesus. <laughs> okay. So let's let's do some potpourri. Let's do it. Um, I have two things. You have one thing? Uh, yes, I have one thing. Sweet. Okay. So... I'll start, and we'll we'll kind of sandwich uh, sandwiches in between mine. Um, so uh, back in uh, OV one forty nine, um, which was our making a murderer episode, Tiny, you picked a potpourri for me. I sure did. Yes, you uh, you picked out of out of the bag, and uh, we got Amazon number forty four on my Amazon watch list, which was uh, miser- uh, wow, <laughs> misery loves comedy, okay. which is. Uh, um, uh, Kevin Pollock's documentary about you know comedy and the personalities that comedy attracts. Nice. And uh, so I watched it. It's about an hour and a half long, and I really I really enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it was it was kind of it was kind of a little unfocused. Like the the documentary was uh, separated into segments, which which I appreciated. There was like um, uh, basically the uh, I think there was one that was called like the oh look at me. Um, personality or whatever mm-hmm. um and then they went through like a, a 
a segment that talked about influences and that one I really appreciated because it went in, went through like uh, Richard Pryor and, and had the comedians that were being interviewed for it talk about their influence and stuff like that. Um, other than that, it was, like I said, it was kind of unfocused. Like there wasn't really a through line throughout it, throughout all of these segments. But the thing that stood out to me about it was that freaking everyone was in this documentary. Um, wow. Yeah. Now that I, now that I say that, I realized Louis CK wasn't in it, which is <laughs> odd. Um, because basically like if you have a favorite comedian that isn't Louis CK, uh, they were in this, they were in this documentary. <laughs> like who's your favorite comedian, Tiny? Mike Raviglia. He was in it. Nice. Um, yeah. And, uh, but oddly enough, it's, it's not just comedians, not just like stand up comics. It's like people that are involved in comedy. And the standout for me was seeing uh, Freddie Prince Jr. speaking very candidly about his father, and uh, who was who was a, a comic. Uh, yeah, he was a comic, right? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, Freddie Prince was a comic who committed suicide. Wow! And so seeing uh, seeing Freddie Prince Jr. speaking so candidly about his father and speaking about uh, some stuff that his father did and, and the experience of living in the shadow of his father was really, really amazing and very, um, very poignant uh, wow. and actually pretty touching. Um, hmm. so yeah, so that, that was definitely the standout of it. Um, the documentary kind of ends with, with the question of, do you have to be miserable to do comedy? Which, which was, which was a nice, uh, punctuation on it. But, um, Really, everything else, everything else before took precedent over that. It didn't feel like this was the thesis statement that they were going to make throughout it, um, throughout the documentary. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I would, I would say, uh, definitely worth watching if you're a comedy fan. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, just for, just for S's and G's, I'm going to, uh, just rattle off all the people that I, that I was able to note down that were in it. So, People in this documentary, I have a list. Uh, here we go. Freddie Prince Jr., Sam Rockwell, Tom Hanks, Louis Black, Jim Jeffries, Sam Levine, uh, Nick Swartzen, John Favreau, Kamel Nanjiani, Jim Gaffigan, Amy Schumer, Jimmy Fallon, Paul F. Tompkins, Greg Proops, uh, Lisa Kudrow, Matthew Perry, Ajud Apatow, Steve Coogan, Stephen Merchant, Penn Jillette, Whippy Goldberg, Martin Short, James L. Brooks, Kevin Nealon, Janine Garofalo, Mike Birbiglia, Larry David, Scott Ackerman, Ma- uh, Maria Bamford, Mark Marin, Dave Keckner, uh, Bob Saget, William H. Macy, Matt Walsh, Christopher Guest, Jason Alexander, Jimmy Pardo, Dan- uh, Dana Gould, David Wayne, Chris Hardwick, Jason Reitman, Kevin Smith, and Rob Delaney. Like, wow. There are so many people in this documentary, That's and an I all-star. missed several. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, it, so it's, it's really impressive, uh, the, the amount of people that they got. Um, and it is currently on Amazon Prime. Nice. I'm very interested in that topic. Yeah, it's because it is really, an interesting dynamic that's mm-hmm. really prevalent in the in the industry. Yeah, and it's definitely and they touch they touch on uh, what it means to have the comedy gene, uh-huh. as, as Chris Hardwick has said. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really it's really well done. I just wish it was a little bit more focused and a little bit more. Yeah. I wish that they would have expanded more on the history of comedy, but I, I guess that's not really what they were going for. But um, if you want to see a bunch of comedy people talking about comedy and talking about their their lives and how um, not so much how comedies influence their lives so much, um, but why they're attracted to comedy, this mm-hmm. is the documentary for you. Cool. Yeah. Sounds um, good. Yeah. So, Tiny, what's your uh, potpourri? I've heard that this, if you're going with the one that you mentioned, 
in our private chat. Uh, I've heard that this one is pretty awful, so go ahead. <laughs> yes. Uh, my main topic is uh, I'm going to talk about Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really briefly, I just wanted to mention uh, yesterday uh, I started watching The Jinx on HBO. Nice. Um, I watched the first two episodes, and I am hooked. Nice. Uh, the nice. candor of it is just incredible. Mm-hmm. Just the, 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 the dynamic of it is just amazing. Did um, you- so, so you've seen two episodes. Two episodes. Out of six, right? There's six? There's six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, he's blinking. I'm blinking. Did um, you notice that? Did oh, you absolutely. That? Yeah. It's, like, it's like a tick. It is. Um, uh, but I, I'm very intrigued by it. So maybe next week or the week after, very shortly, I will be uh, maybe sharing my thoughts on that. I'm going to um, hold you to next week because I don't think you're going to be able to not watch pro- it. Yeah, pro- I'm going to think you're right. It's Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I mean it's cool, you know. <laughs> and also, uh, my girlfriend and I are going to start watching Billions on Showtime. Oh, okay. With, uh, Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis. Um, I think it looks kind of cool. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend loves Paul Giamatti. I love Damian Lewis. Um, we want a new show to watch, and I think we're nice. Gonna, so I may also share my thoughts on that awesome. in the coming weeks. But Sin City, a Dame to Kill for, was not very good. <laughs> um, I think the first movie really. I really like the first movie. It is so cool. It has such... It's just... It's a one-of-a-kind movie. There's nothing else like it. It's such a cool... Visually, there's nothing else like it. It it just... It's like you're... It's like you're flipping through the pages of a comic book. Mm -hmm. Um, Despite all its shortcomings with the the goofy dialogue and and some of the other... The acting is a little choppy and stuff like that. Um, I I think it's... I think it's part of the... Part of the... uh, the style of the movie and i think it makes sense for the movie so i don't i don't count that as a shortcoming of of sin city um but this movie that that luster just wore off like real like right away um it 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 just did not feel like it did not feel like we were looking at meticulously drawn frames of a comic book Mm -hmm. it looked like it looked like somebody just storyboarded it, Ooh. and and I think I think part of that is that I maybe I, I I've never read the Sin City comics or any mm-hmm. any of them, so I don't really know what the what the central stories are and what I don't know. But I feel like this this movie was this was written as a movie as opposed to the first one was written as a comic and they just made it into a movie. This felt like. A movie. They just made a movie, and later they made it a comic. I guess. Huh. Um, I know that that's not the case, but I know that it's you're not saying. The case? Okay. I know that you're saying that that's how it felt. That's how it felt. Yeah. I think that a Dame to Kill for was one of at least that main that storyline was uh, from the comics. Was it okay? Yeah, I think that there might have been. I, I'm going off a of memory of of what I heard on various podcasts, but um, I think that some of the other segments were made for the movie, but that main the a Dame to Kill for one was uh, uh, taken from the from the comic. Okay. Okay. Um, well, a lot of characters are back. Uh, most notably, Marv, played by um, um, Mickey, Mickey Rourke. Rourke. Um, he he was one of the standouts of the first movie. Arguably, the standout of the first movie. Um, he was such an incredible character in the first movie. Um, I loved how they explored him. How he was inserted into so many of the other so many of the stories. Mm-hmm. I really loved that about the first one. And this one, he's. He's also inserted into the stories, but I feel like his motivations for being there are just weird. Uh, really? I th- he, he felt kind of out of place huh. in, in these stories. I, I just really didn't get it. Um, I, I don't think they added much to Marv. I, he was... I don't know. I, f- I feel like for, a, for such a multidimensional character, 
they really bottlenecked him into one thing, and I really didn't mm. care for that at all. Um, I, I, I was curious to see what they did with him, and I think they really dropped the ball. Hmm. Um, they added some new characters. I appreciated Josh Brolin in this. He had a very cool, very cool exterior. Um, I thought he did fine, but I, I didn't care about his character that much. Um, I wanted him to be kind of like Clive Owen in the first okay. one, who I thought was yeah. also awesome. I, I, I loved what he did. Um, but the character, which just wasn't written well enough, um, despite Josh Brolin's efforts. Um, and then Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who I, was I am gonna an, ask about him. I'm an unflinching fan of his. Right. He, he can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. Um, and, and I loved his performance in this. I thought it was great. But again, the character just, the character just served to build up the other, to build up uh, Senator Rourke. Okay. Played by Powers Booth, who's the, he's the primary villain in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he's kind of shrouded in some mystery. I think they kept him very under wraps in the first movie. He's kind of a, a, a bit of a mystery and, 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 and kind of, uh, kind of, I don't know, mysterious. Mysterious. Uh, but in the second one, he's, th- th- he's just, he's, uh, explored so much more and he, he seems like, much more of an empty character in this, even though they, wow. they show more of him. Um, I appreciate Powers Booth. I think he's great for that character. He has that, that gruff voice and those piercing eyes, and he's just he has a very good physical presence for that character, but I, I just did not really appreciate what they did with him. Um, hmm. Just so many of the characters, I, I think they just took bad directions with him. The same thing for uh, Jessica Alba's character, Nancy. Hmm. Um I, th- I thought it was a strange direction to take the character in. I, I really didn't. Uh, I really didn't care for it that much. Um, but the new character I did, I really did enjoy was uh, Ava Green. Um, okay. She's an awesome actress. Uh, super hot, sexy actress. She's just perfect for this role. <laughs> uh, and and she she played it perfectly. She was very conniving and mm-hmm. and uh, just used all her feminine wiles to to manipulate the story. I. She she was absolutely perfect for that role, and yes. and she she nailed it. Um, I enjoyed her her uh, her character and and what they did with her. Um, that was one of the one of the highlights of the movie. But mm-hmm. I mean, I I would probably give the first Sin City like a maybe as as good as like a eight point five out of ten. Okay, like maybe like a high eight, almost a nine out of ten. I love the first movie. This one I'd probably give it like a four. I just it 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 was just not woven together well at all and just not worked into the universe well. I really didn't. Uh, it, it felt, um, it was just a really choppy, uh, elusive kind of story. I really okay. didn't uh, didn't care for it that much. Okay. Well, that's a shame, but I think that that goes with uh, the general consensus yeah. pretty well, too. Yeah. Um, I have a follow-up question for you about that. When was the last time you saw the original Sin City? How long has it been? Oh, it's been years since I've seen it. Okay. it's years. been It's been a decade since I've seen it. So it's probably something I, mean, I need to look at again. I'm very curious what you'll think of it because you said that um, the style of it really wore off almost immediately for for the sequel. And I kind of wonder, maybe, I wonder if, because I, I, I hold the original to high esteem, but I've really only seen it the one time. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I own it on DVD and everything, but I've only seen it really in the theater. Um, I think I may have seen it once before when I, when I bought it on DVD, but... Um, I kind of wonder because that that visual style was so unique and so yeah. fresh, and I kind of wonder if going back, it'll. I wonder if seeing it now, uh, being so far removed from it, I wonder if that'll come across as a uh, as a gimmick or or, mm, or yeah. kind of cheesy or something. A crutch, kind of. A crutch, yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's. I wonder if it's. Uh, 
I wonder, and also our age and our perception of the movies. Yeah. We've, I've at least changed a lot in ten years. Oh yeah. Um, some for the good, some for the bad. But um, it's something we should revisit. I think. I think so too. Yeah. yeah. Um, because that that'd be very interesting to see what uh each of us think of the original. Because I really like the original. I I yeah. hold it to high esteem, like I said. But um, it's I've been so far removed from it that I kind of wonder if uh. Wonder if it, it'll be tarnished if I go back and revisit it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So that's that's your potpourri. Mm-hmm. And to uh, round us out uh, for this episode, I am going to talk briefly about uh, a TV show on Amazon Prime, actually, that I watched. Um, I referenced it in OV ninety seven, and I also reviewed the pilot of the uh, um of the show on on the website on obsessiveviewer.com it's uh, season one of the man in the high castle nice yeah so for those unaware the man in the high castle is a it was one, part of uh amazon's pilot program uh where they where they post the pilots of their original series and then ev- eventually select uh, which ones they order for a series um they say that the um user votes get counted or get put into uh um put into consideration when deciding it, but also I, that could be just a um, placebo or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, so I watched it and I was really excited about it. It's an adaptation of the Philip K. Dick, uh, Philip K. Dick novel of the same name. It's about um, basically an alternate history where it's in the sixties and it's uh, in an alternate world where, um, where the U S lost world war two and are now occupied by the, the Eastern half of the United States is occupied by the Nazis and the Western half is occupied by the Japanese. And it's a really interesting, uh, dynamic and a really interesting world really, um, that they, that they create for it. And in the middle, there's this little, uh, uh, neutral zone. So, a big part of the show there's there's several different characters several different uh, arcs but it's it's there's a little bit of a spy espionage intrigue kind of thing to it um the main characters are uh, J- uh juliana uh this woman named juliana um i can't remember the actress's name and uh this guy named joe who uh they're both kind of thrown into the resistance movement um that's going on under under the noses of the nazis and, and the japanese um and and you know it's it's interesting there's uh i think i think the pre- i think it didn't quite live up to its premise for the first season for me um it's kind of the the pilot episode was a little not rough but it, i mean it looked really good but it was very like cgi heavy and everything um uh, in terms of the backdrops and everything, but uh, once they got into like the normal set design and everything, and it looks it looks pretty clean and pretty crisp, and and um, the world looks really good. Um, as the as the season progresses, there's some choices that characters make that are a little it's it's a little muddled. I mean, it's not bad. It's 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 a really good season of television, and it's a really good spy uh, thriller kind of thing. But there's the way that I would describe it is on one hand, you so you look at the actual. I'm all over the place, and I apologize. Um, if you look, <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the landscape of television, we have traditionally there's network TV that's kind of 
it's got this kind of persona, or this uh, this style to it that's very accessible and everything. And then you have basic cable, which is a little more gritty and dark. They can do more things. And then you have premium cable, which is uh, where they have like you know very very big productions and and uh, very deep like like The Wire and Game of Thrones stuff like that. A lot of creative license. Exactly. That's the perfect way to describe it. Um, if I were to compare The Man in the High Castle with those three kind of uh, pillars of television entertainment um, as if they were like archetypes, I guess, it would be somewhere between uh, basic cable and a little bit on the network side. Okay. Yeah, which is kind of a shame. Um, it's kind of – there's some there's some performance issues um, <laughs> that are kind of it, – it's – I don't know. There's There's some – I don't know how to describe it. It's been about a week since I've seen it, but it's, I don't know. It's just kind of a little bit lacking for me, I, I, I think. Um, by the end of it, I was kind of, I was not not over it or not done with it. I was very still, I was still invested in it, but I was like, okay, I'm, I'm looking forward to being done with this season of TV, really. Okay. Instead of having, um, being really invested in, in the arcs and everything. Cause there's, there's a mystery element in that, uh, there's these film, film reels that are popping up that show. This was the most interesting aspect of it to me, uh, watching the pilot was there's these film reels, um, that's, that are being, uh, hidden away or they're being sought out by the resistance that they're film reels of, of the United States winning the war. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's it's introduced as this is what's meant to have happened, and this is this is our world isn't right or whatever. Um, and they explore that a little bit more, and they show there's some really interesting angles there, and uh, I, I, there are some comparisons to be drawn between the Man in the High Castle and Lost in that respect. Um, and I wish that I could make that connection. I wish I could be as invested in this as I was in Lost in the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, but something about it just didn't really didn't grip me the way that I thought that it would. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I believe it's it, it has been renewed for a season two, so we'll see what season two does. They, it ends on a, it ends on a really good note in terms of the mystery aspect of it. Like I think that if I go back and I watch it as a mystery show rather than a, an alternate history show, um, I think I might get a little bit more out of it. Um, cool. Yeah. And to the show's credit. Um, I saw the pilot and then when I went to the second episode, like I just kind of had this sudden, this sudden overwhelming feeling that, um, granted I'd seen the pilot about a year ago and then I rewatched the pilot when the whole season was up. And then when I went to the second episode, like I just kind of realized like the world building and the actual, um, the actual kind of landscape and, and the, uh, the culture of this alternate universe is set up really well. Okay. Um, it's 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 like there's there's a character who is being sought after by the authorities in uh in San Fr- uh, <laughs> I almost said San Francisco which is a reference to um <laughs> Big Hero 6 of all things <laughs> but uh Japanese occupied San Francisco and you kind of get this at least I got this really overwhelming feeling of this isn't just a guy that's being um that's being uh evading uh evading police or or being sought after by the police this is like if they find out information about him or like they, there's no like legal precedent or whatever, they can throw him into a camp and they can, yeah. they can incinerate him. Um, it's just, it's, it's really gripping in that regard. Okay. Um, yeah. So it's, it's it, the show, 
the show shows a little bit of promise, but uh, it was ultimately just slightly underwhelming, uh, underwhelming for me. Okay. Um, yeah, I saw the pilot and wasn't crazy about it. Really? I watched. That's all I've seen of it is the pilot. Okay. So Yeah. I uh, I did appreciate there was some uh, there was some little uh, there were some nice little touches to the uh, backstory of the of the of the world. Really, I think this was in the uh, this was actually in the pilot episode. Um, DJ Qualls plays. Uh, mm-hmm the the like best friend of uh the one of the main character uh, juliana's uh her boyfriend uh played by rupert uh rupert uh evans who was also in the boy um okay the movie um and there's a nice bit of world building in like one line of dialogue in the pilot because dj qualls and uh uh frank played by played by uh, rupert evans they're watching they're watching TV and they're seeing Hitler and this is stuff I talked about in OV ninety seven, I think. But um there's a nice moment where where, where like they they notice that uh they're talking about the idea that Hitler is sick and that there there's about to be a power vacuum. Um that's not really fully explored um, okay. that much, so I, I hope that they kind of you know explore that in future seasons because mm-hmm. I think that that angle is really interesting. The kind of Cold War aspect between Japan and the Nazis, um, okay. but there's one line of dialogue that just like just kind of just blew me away. Was that uh, was that DJ Qual says something like, "Well, if so and so takes over or or whatever, um, they won't just." The, they'll set off the bombs, but they won't just flatten DC like they did before. Huh. Uh, flatten DC with the H bomb, and I was like, "Whoa, that's whoa, that's crazy. That's kind of casual." Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then my final thoughts on that is that what what is interesting about it is since it's in the '60s, it's we're we're seeing this world, this alternate history uh, universe, basically from the perspective of people of, of a generation of characters who have lived in this world. Um, so there's a nice like underline like uh, some characters are are more compliant and and uh, very compliant characters to the to the general order of things, uh, while the resistance fighters are trying to convince them why it's worth worth uh, fighting basically. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, like I said, it it was pretty good, um, a little underwhelming, but shows promise for the future. Cool. So tiny, do you want to pick out of the bag to pick a potpourri thing? Uh, sure. Okay, so what is what? What number did you pull out? I got Netflix uh, two hundred one to four hundred nine, which are oddly specific numbers. Right. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with two forty five. Two forty five. Okay. Uh, I'm going to look that up. Okay, so you picked number two forty five, but before I reveal what this is mm-hmm. to end the episode, uh, there's a couple uh, emails I want to go over real quick. So. Okay. First email is from Andy, who met us at PopCon. Uh, the first PopCon started listening to us and never stopped. Um, yeah. Hopefully you're still listening, Andy. But anyway, he sent us an email about uh, Star Wars, and he had a theory about um, the relationship of a couple characters in the in the new movie. And uh, even though it's one of the highest grossing movies of all time, I don't really want to give away spoilers. But I, I originally wanted to do a one-on-one bonus episode with Mike uh, about Star Wars because we haven't gotten his take on The Force Awakens like in full mm-hmm. on the podcast. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't have time. So, um, But anyway, uh, one part of the email that uh, Andy d- included in the email that wasn't part of the uh, um, spoilers or anything was uh, – 
He said, and quote, not to make excuses for Lucas, but it may explain some things about his mindset when making the prequels. I don't remember where I heard it or read it, but someone out there said that the only reason Yoda was brought back for Return of the Jedi was for merchandising reasons, hence bunch of cartoon characters in the prequels. Okay. Which makes a lot of sense, and that makes me think that uh, maybe he was... I, I wonder... Well, I kind of wonder how greedy he was when he made the prequels. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but that's hmm. that's an interesting angle. That's an interesting uh way to kind of view Lucas's mindset cuz I th- that makes so much more sense than he just went off the deep end and decided to make characters that were incredibly just crazy and weird for yeah. the for various reasons. So mm-hmm. So good eye, Andy, and thanks for listening, and thanks for emailing. Yeah. Again, you can email us at MikeTiny or Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com. I don't know why I went in that order. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then the second email came, it came from Kim, who's been listening to us since uh, – actually, part of the email reveals when she was. But uh, she sent me an email about MoviePass, which I talked at length about um, about on, on various – episodes i think recently uh which by the way i don't think did i i don't think i mentioned this but movie pass like i said in past episodes basically you sign up for a service uh in my area it's 35 dollars per month um and for that 35 dollars, you can see one movie every 24 hours using your phone to check into the theater as long as you're about 100 yards away from it you have 30 minutes to pay for it using the special debit card that movie pass gives you and they print your ticket and all that mm-hmm. um in the one month that i've had it uh, I, I tallied it up. I might do a series of blog posts throughout the year um, to do this. But in the first month I had it, $35, uh, I I'd bought – I had some extra money, so I bought uh, a year's worth of it. Yeah. Um, so that, that factors out to about $32 um, per month really for me. But um, in that first month, I saw 10 movies. Wow. And – of those screenings, like since, you know, it's printed like it's a regular – it's like a regular um, – transaction when you use the debit card you see the price tallied it up i saw 88 dollars and 80 cents worth of movies wow and that's amazing to me and one thing that i didn't really uh talk about either was uh how i i frequent amc theaters uh pretty frequently Uh so what i did was i got an amc stubs card for nine dollars for the year and every hundred dollars i spend at an AMC theater using the Stubbs card, I get $10 of credit to use toward a ticket or concessions. Wow. So, I mean, holy crap. That's right. It's a dream, really. Um, I did find out the hard way that you can't uh, see the same movie twice using MoviePass. You, you just can't. Like, okay. I tried to see Star Wars a second time, but they wouldn't let me. But you can – it said you, you can't do um, IMAX screenings, but like if you use – if you check into an IMAX screening and then use the card, it will pay for up to like $11 of it. Okay. So you'll have to pay like an extra like 4 bucks. Um, so what I did uh, – so what I did <laughs> – so, so what I did when I saw Star Wars was I uh, did the upgrade for IMAX using the kiosk in the lobby – um or inside the doors um paid the upgrade for four dollars and then went up to the cashier because i wanted to see it in 2d um my friend and i went and saw it in 2d and i basically i said like hey i got the wrong the wrong one can i get like uh, one for the 720 in 2d and they're like okay we can just refund you the difference i was like okay yeah (laughs) nice so i yeah so that's that was a loophole i did there anyway so kim 
Thank you for emailing. She actually said that she was going to sign up for MoviePass based on uh, the way that I talked about it, and I, I really appreciated that. Um, and part of her email r- reads, uh, As I was listening to the Year in Review episode, it hit me that I've been listening to your podcast since your last Year in Review show. You've talked me into and out of seeing a lot of movies in the past year. I loved the bonus episode about the trailers, something that I uh, I sent a screenshot to Fekus to tell him. Nice. Uh, and, then he, and then she said, Letterboxd is great, so I'm sure MoviePass will be a good fit, too. Good luck, and thanks for all the company on my commute. Uh, That's really nice. Yeah, it was very nice. Thanks for the email, Kim. And I almost I almost responded with insane, like, uh, this, is so, this is such a weird thing. I'm glad I didn't say this, but I was going to respond with, see you in your car. <laughs> but I didn't realize, like, that would sound weird. <laughs> saying, yeah, just a little bit. See you in your car, so... <laughs> So thanks for listening. I hope you still listen after that. <laughs> and uh, finally, on Letterboxd, I posted that uh, I posted that I recently watched The Martian again on Blu-ray. And uh, Yasmin, 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 I don't know how to pronounce that name. I'm so sorry. Yeah. She's like our oldest listener, yeah. like since the beginning. Um, anyway, Yasmin, uh, uh, she she commented on my uh, Martian check-in with something interesting. She said. Um, I loved seeing Donald Glover since I thought he'd quit acting, but his scenes felt really out of place with the rest of the film. I was just shocked to see him in the film. And she went on to say that she laughed out loud in the, in the theater uh, when she saw it. And I, I thought that that was an interesting um, interesting perception of the movie or, or um, perspective on it because Donald Glover is a uh, – he was really good in community. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, – and I was happy to see him in the movie too. Unfortunately, it was just he was just so out of place. So I'm I mean I guess if I wouldn't have known that he was in it, maybe I would have taken to it a little more. It sounds like she wasn't really that into it either. Yeah. But uh it was just interesting. That was interesting. So anyway, thank you for following me on Letterboxd and contacting me on there and for listening to us for a long, long time. Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I, we really appreciate uh, all our listeners. And once again, you can email us individually at Matt Tiny or Mike at ObsessiveViewer.com or email the podcast as a whole at podcast, uh, uh, podcast at ObsessiveViewer.com. Yeah. That sounds right. Uh, okay. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. So finally, to wrap up the episode, Tiny picked out of the bag Netflix 2.0 whatever to 4.0 whatever um, <laughs> out of the bag for my potpourri next week. And he picked number 245. Yes. Which on my Netflix queue uh, is uh, director Tom McCarthy's 2003 movie starring Peter Dinklage, Patricia Clarkson, and Bobby Cannavale, The Station Agent. That is a great movie. I am super excited. Uh, really good movie. For those who don't know, it's uh, when his only friend. This is the this is the description from Netflix. It's when his only friend dies. A man with dwarfism relocates to an abandoned train station in rural New Jersey, intent on living the life of a hermit. I this has been on my radar for a long time, and Tom McCarthy uh, directed Spotlight. Did he not? I think he did. Yeah, I believe he did. Yeah, which is really uh, of the time right mm-hmm. now. Nice. So it's really interesting. I've seen it. It's a fantastic movie. I remember you. T- I think that's a reason why I uh, why I uh, added it because yeah. you spoke so highly of it. Nice. Good movie. Yep. So, uh, but he also directed The Cobbler. So there's that. <laughs> um, it's actually his directorial debut. So we'll be back, we'll be back next week with a review of The Revenant. Uh, fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and also my thoughts on The Station Agent. Nice. So, once again, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, Not guys. maybe in your cars. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks. Because, like I said, she I shut the door on her once, and she started clawing at the carpet in the corner. Oh, jeez. And if you see, I have one of those Colts coasters that you gave me <laughs> yeah. to keep her from doing that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, Pizza Roll, the official mascot of ObsessiveViewer.com. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP, Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com, where we post movie and TV reviews, and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer, and follow us on Twitter at obsessiveviewer, at obsessivetiny, and at IamMikeWhite. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.